And greetings, everyone. This is Terry Naturally with another edition of Terry Talks Nutrition. We're here every Saturday and Sunday morning from 8 o'clock till 9 o'clock Central Standard Time. And we are here primarily for you. So many times the answer is for a problem of health or disease is a drug. And sometimes that might be the appropriate recommendation and prescription. But many of our conditions are not diseases. Actually, they are brought about by the food we eat or the food we don't eat that we should and the food we eat that we should not eat. 98% of all diseases are caused by you and I, caused by our lifestyle choices, by what we decide to do on a daily basis. What food are we putting into our body? Is it fuel for our body? Or is it junk? Just to eat because it's pleasurable, because it tastes good, because it's convenient to eat. Less than 40% of American adults eat fruits and vegetables on a daily basis. That's where we have a variety of our vitamins and minerals from the fruits and vegetables, and then many other comes from the proteins like meat and fish and seafoods. But fruits and vegetables provide a tremendous amount of polyphenols that are very healthy for our body. In fact, there's 8,000 of them, and they are supplied by food. Fruits, vegetables, nuts, And even coffee. That's why coffee has been so pointed out that it has heart benefits and other benefits as well because it's very high in antioxidants and polyphenols. We don't have a variety of those in our diet because the diet is primarily in America an unhealthy diet. 80 to 90% of Americans eat an unhealthy diet. And that's what I believe, my personal belief, is that why so many people have a problem with infection today from a virus, COVID-19. If we're really healthy, we'd have a less risk of contracting the virus. And if we did contract the virus, if we are rather healthy, we will have a mild to moderate case or no symptoms at all. But those who are very unhealthy and have other underlying health conditions, they are already at risk for a healthy, unhealthy condition. And that's why the virus has such a powerful impact on those populations. The elderly those with many or even a major underlying health condition, but the healthier we can maintain over the length of our life, the healthier our life will be and the better quality of life we'll have. Today we see cancer even in young children. We see diseases in children that were once diseases associated with aging 
and the elderly. We are getting thicker every generation. We are getting more unhealthy every generation. So we should be looking at how we can get healthier, and that's what we'd like to be here for you. I'm not here to make decisions for you. If you want to eat the junk, eat the junk. But if you want to be healthier, have a better sense of well-being, and be able to ward off viral attacks, bacterial attacks, or fungal infections. Infections kill a lot of people. But I believe our immune system, the innate immune system, which is built into our body, is our natural vaccine. All we have to do is make sure that we have enough nutrients to maintain a healthy immune system. Even today, I don't know why doctors don't, at least, they don't have an answer. And of course, they don't study health and nutrition in med school. They study disease and surgery, and doctors are fantastic. When they do some things mechanically, they're unbelievable. But when it comes to keeping the population or their clients healthy, they have no idea. Because they themselves don't eat healthy. They get one day of nutrition education in med school. You read one book on health and nutrition, and you have more education on health and nutrition than your doctor does. So it doesn't pay to ask your doctor about health or how to get healthy. And that's why doctors don't understand supplements and multivitamin and mineral supplements or any other supplements that maintain health. So you have to learn it on your own. And since we are responsible for our health, not the doctors, the doctors are not going to keep us healthy. Drug companies don't keep us healthy. Drugs don't keep us healthy. They don't promote health. They don't assure health. Now, some drugs are very, very important. They can save lives. And vaccines can save lives as well. If you're not going to be healthy, and you don't want to be healthy, you don't care, you eat junk foods, and that's the way you're going to live. I've had people tell me, Hey, Terry, if, I'm going to change, if I have to change my diet and eat like you say and eat healthy and I can't eat all the junk I want, then I might as well be dead. I've had people tell me that. When we should be wanting to live for a lot of different reasons, to enjoy our families, to enjoy our spouses, to be able to do things with our grandkids or kids, we should maintain good health and teach them good health. 18% of children are obese. That means they're grossly overweight. Kids sit at, you know, at a computer. Or they're playing some games. They're not outside in the fresh air running and doing things. Playing games outside. 
They're in front of some monitor playing a game. No exercise, no activity. And they're gaining weight. It's a similar situation as the adults. We drive to our workplace and we try to find the closest parking place to where we go into the building. We go into the building and in many cases, most people sit in front of a TV, or excuse me, a, a computer and work all day or work on some paperwork, never getting up off their, out, out of their station or their, their cubicle. There are some people, of course, they depend. They're outside. Uh, you know, you have road crews. You have a lot of people to do outside work. And they are healthier just because they have more activity. But when you combine inactivity and a poor diet, you have a very explosive, unhealthy situation. So Terry Talks Nutrition is a website that we created to help disseminate some science to health and nutrition and prove to you that they work. And if you want to be healthy, there are ways to be healthy. But diet, your food is number one. Food is the number one foundation of your health. And I always recommend the ketogenic diet, which is a moderate amount of proteins, very, very low carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are starches or like sugar, potatoes, carrots, all the starchy vegetables, bread, pasta, cakes, pies, cookies, all the flour and grain products. They are eventually turned into sugar in the body. So you have the carbohydrates providing sugar, and then we are eating a ton of sugar, just refined processed sugar, which has gone up from about four pounds of sugar in the early 1900s to about 250 pounds of sugar per year per individual in the U.S. And that's why we have type 2 diabetes, the amount of sugar that we are consuming. Insulin, no, insulin can, cannot work trying to lower the amount of sugar There's not enough insulin produced in the body to take care of the amount of sugar that we have now consumed currently. But diet is number one. Food is number one. And when I say diet, it's not a weight loss diet. Diet just means what you're eating. So change what you are eating to a healthier level of selection of foods. So that's number one. Other supplements can be done, can be used as well. And today we're going to be talking about some things that we can do to become healthier. We're going to talk about the amazing combination, Ayurvedic combination, which stands for the Indian form of medicine, of andographis and ashwagandha. We'll talk why a low-carb diet is so much more successful in maintaining health and your metabolic, actually your metabolic health, 
than a high carb. Then we'll talk about an herb that can lower your stress. We have a lot to talk about today, so let's get right into it. So my featured topic today is I would like to tell you a little bit about andographis and ashwagandha, kind of tongue twisters. These are both herbs that grow primarily in India. And they are classified as adaptogens. And adaptogens are herbs. In the 1950s, 60s, they coined the word adaptogen because these herbs that classify as adaptogens help you to adapt to life, to changes, to the environment. So some people live in cold weather. Some people live in hot weather. Both are stressors. They stress the body. So adaptogens help our bodies adapt to the changes of life. And they are very, very safe herbs. There are rarely ever any side effect to those herbs that are classified as adaptogens. And in the 1950s and 60s, primarily this was a tremendous amount of research that came out of Russia. Their cosmonauts, their athletes, all took adaptogens. And their specific adaptogen in Russia was, was what was once called Siberian ginseng. But it is not a ginseng. But Russia does not have a ginseng that has been used in the culture of Russia. But this plant called a luthero, Sensicacus, acts like ginseng. It performs like ginseng. It does similar things as ginseng does. So they call it Siberian ginseng. But then all the companies that were selling ginseng fought against them using the name ginseng to protect the real ginseng, and so you no longer can call it Siberian ginseng. But all these plants, there were a few in the 50s and 60s. Now there's about 75 plants that really can be classified as adaptogens. And ashwagandha is known in India because they do not grow ginseng in India. It's also known as Indian ginseng. Ashwagandha. Andographis. Keep these two herbs in mind because they are very powerful, health-promoting herbs. So an adaptogen helps to keep our body's systems in balance and running smoothly. They're like a tonic to the body, especially during times of stress. They're powerful stress reducers. You're not going to get rid of the stress unless you bury yourself someplace or you hibernate, and then even then you'll have stress. If you hibernate in a cave, you probably have animals. Maybe you'll starve. Who knows? But you'll have stress. We can't get rid of stress. 
but we can learn how to cope with stress and build a resistance in our body against stress. And in today's world, oh my gosh, I can't think of anyone who could probably avoid some form of stress today. The adaptogens improve any kind of systems in our body that are functioning, 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 <laughs> excuse me, at a lower level than, than its peak optimal level. And some are overproducing, like the adrenal glands, trying to compensate for the stress. They produce, it produces more cortisol. And the higher cortisol creates more weight gain. And it shows that we are under a tremendous amount of stress. So it regulates and balances all the metabolic systems in the body that support our health. They don't do one really one very specific thing. They do so many things. And that's what adaptogens do. It regulates your body's chemistry. Andrographis and ashwagandha are two of the most important adaptogens. The other one I like a lot is red ginseng and rhodiola. Those are two other adaptogens. But andrographis and ashwagandha have a wide range of health benefits. They don't, they don't do just one thing good. They do many, many, many things great. They increase energy. Those people that suffer from fatigue and exhaustion. It improves sleeping. It boosts the immune system to prevent illness and help speed recovery. They sharpen focus Clarity of the mind, concentration, improved learning skills, and improved memory. They restore hormones to their optimal levels. Some people have hormones in their body that are suboptimal. They're inactive or underactive. People that have low thyroid. And we know that ashwagandha improves thyroid function because it improves all the hormones in the body. If, it's, if these hormones are underactive, it brings them up to a balanced activity. If the hormones are overactive, it helps regulate down to a balanced regulatory condition. And these are all done without side effects. There are no side effects associated with an adaptogen. Now this amazing combination, I like it. These two together are a powerful, powerful combination. It's a combination that I like to use. Andrographis and ashwagandha. And here's a study, very small study, but at least it's some information that, that we can rely on. 15 adults between the ages of 60 and 75 with mild 
cognitive impairment. Received a combination of standardized ashwagandha and endographus for four weeks. The combination. And researchers evaluated the electrical activity of the brain and mental function. Using a very special form of test for cognitive attention and focus. So the result of this study, it was a German study, increased brain wave patterns associated with calmness and relaxation, as well as some improvements on the ability to cope with stress. Now these improvements in mental function were noted just after two weeks of use because it calms the brain and reduces the excitability of the neurons in the brain. Actually slowing and balancing the neurons so that you have a better mental function. And then you have the effects on the immune function. Just recently, there was a paper published that I ran across, which was a paper, almost, I would say, close to a book, about 75 pages, of a study of the review of adaptogens by about 12 different scientists working together in their forte of botanical medicine. And it looked at all the effects of adaptogens on COVID-19. And why they selected andrographis and ashwagandha is because they have actually direct antiviral activities and have been found effective against the flu and the common cold, as well as hepatitis, swine flu, herpes, otherwise known as cold sores and fever blisters, or genital herpes. This is just andrographis. And in a clinical study, as a treatment for the common cold, by day three, symptoms were reduced by over 50% versus the placebo that did not improve the quality of life during the cold episode. Actually, the cold lasted up to seven to ten days, where andrographis reduced the symptoms the severity of the cold, and the duration by up to 50%. So if you have a cold or flu, as quickly as you can start, because at the beginning is a crucial time. If the cold lingers on for four or five days, then you start taking andrographis, it may not be as effective, but at the first sign, if you take andrographis, it's extremely effective. But also ashwagandha also has benefits for the immune system. 
one of the most important compounds is a compound called withafrain A has been shown to block COVID-19 from binding to cell receptors in the lungs and heart. So when the virus attacks the body, the virus has protein spikes that attach to the cell and penetrates the cell. Almost like a bee going inside the colony, going into the hive. The virus goes into the cell and binds to the receptors in lung cells and heart cells. And that's why people have heart conditions, heart disease, associated with COVID-19. So let's take a look at what we know about this combination. Andagraphis and ashwagandha. Both of these adaptogens to be effective should be standardized to the most important, powerful compounds. So in andrographis, there is a key compound called andrographolide. And it's standardized, the best andrographis is standardized to 20% of the total andrographolide. There are three andrographolides in andrographis. You have iso-andrographolide and you have neo-andrographolide. And then ashwagandha, you have a compound called withlinolide and it's standardized to 35% in ashwagandha. So, The combination that I like and I recommend is to take a combination of 200 milligrams of andrographis and 150 milligrams of ashwagandha. This would be a great, wonderful combination to reduce stress, increase energy levels, feel at your optimal level, reduce disease and sickness, make your body healthier, balance all of your hormones. These are like like the natural medicines to maintain healthy chemistry and metabolic function in the body. So we're going to pause here for a few seconds to let the station identify itself and some commercials, I believe, but we'll be back here in just a few um, moments. This is Terry Naturally with Terry Talks Nutrition. And welcome back, my friends. We're here until the top of the hour. So we have about another 25 to 27 minutes left, so stay with us. We have a lot more coming your way. If you have to leave us and you're going to miss part of the program, you can always go to our website, terrytalksnutrition.com. There you can listen to all the shows that we archive on the website in the radio show section. So you can listen to past shows as well as the show today if you missed part of it or want to do it over again. 
you want to listen over and over again, you, you may do that. At your convenience. You can also listen live. I know many of you are listening in the local broadcast area around Green Bay, Wisconsin. So you're basically listening via your radio. But for people that can't listen to the radio because the station can't broadcast around the world, but you can listen anywhere around the world by going to the website and click on live. Just make sure you are on the same time as we are here, Central Standard Time. And you can also go to a website and you can subscribe to our newsletter. We have a weekly newsletter. It's free of charge. It goes out every Friday to your email address if you subscribe to it. Or they are also archived on the e-newsletter section of terrytalksnutrition.com. So we're going to talk a bit about diet. Remember in the beginning of the program we talked about diet as the foundation of your health? Well, here's some science to support that the very low diet, very low carbohydrate diet, I should say, a low-carb diet is better for your metabolic health. That means your overall health. That means your heart health, your blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, all those conditions are caused by metabolic disorders. All these diseases that we have today that we're spending billions and billions and billions of dollars with medication. Now, surgery, I know we we need that from time to time. There are cases where we need drugs from time to time. But average, we are creating more disease by our lifestyle choices and diet. And the diet that is the most destructive is a diet that is high in carbohydrates and sugar. So they have been proving how a low-carb diet, less carbohydrates, or no carbohydrates, There are essential proteins that we should have every day. There are essential fats that we should have every day. And I know a lot of people just have not understood how fats can be healthy as we have been so brainwashed over decades that fats are bad for us. Some people, I still run into people that say, Terry, how can can you promote a fat diet? How can you promote people to eat fat? Even meat fat, duck fat, fatty fatty fish. The right kind of fats. Because today people are eating unhealthy fats. Those fats that are very high in omega-6 fatty acids. And we are consuming about 30 times more omega-6 fatty acids than omega-3 fatty acids. And omega-6 is a pro-inflammatory compound. Pro, that means it makes it. It stimulates more. So we are eating today a very inflammatory diet. 
lots of carbohydrates, lots of sugar, and omega-6. Those three are pro-inflammatory. They cause inflammation. And a lot of people are taking drugs today and even supplements that are classified as anti-inflammatory. Well, first of all, don't make inflammation with your diet and your lifestyle and then take some kind of drug or supplement to reduce the inflammation. And I have run across people when I do lectures that have told me that, you know, I changed my diet and I was in severe pain. You know, they have severe joint pain or back pain or headaches. So they have severe pain, 8, 9, and 10 on a scale of 1 to 10. They changed their diet from a pro-inflammatory diet to an anti-inflammatory diet. And an anti-inflammatory diet is a diet of good proteins. That can be meat, fish, duck, any kind of animal protein. And healthy fats, those fats are like olive oil, which is my favorite, my, the, the best I can recommend. But also that could include avocado oil, coconut oil. These oils are very, very good for us, including cream, lard, eggs, all the things that we thought were fat and bad for us. They are not bad for us. Sugar, in any form, including carbohydrates, that converts the sugar in our body. And I've had people tell me that when they were on a pain level of 8, 9, and 10, they went on the ketogenic diet, which is the kind of diet that I'm recommending, which is protein and fats, and very, very, very low carbohydrates. And their pain level is like 1 and 2. Because now they're not feeding their body inflammation. They're not igniting inflammation. The burning flame of pain. They are now regulating on their own by the diet that they're choosing to be an anti-inflammatory diet. So if you're in pain and any, any disease most likely you will improve dramatically by changing your diet. If your diet is primarily junk and high in omega-6 fatty acids, that would be like safflower seed oil, soybean oil, corn oil, peanut oil, grapeseed oil, not grapeseed extract, grapeseed oil, different. Any oil that contains a high level of omega-6 fatty acids. So what the scientists wanted to know, should people be eating more carbs or more fat? That was the question that originated to begin a study to determine which is better for the body. So as we feed our bodies, our body responds. 
It's active. So either we're going to feel less pain or more pain. More health or less health. So researchers compared the effects of a low-carb diet. Low-carb. Most Americans today consume about 400 grams of carbohydrates a day. 400 grams. I consume about 40 grams. And sometimes less. And some days nothing. No carbs. So most Americans eat about 10 times more carbs and sugar than they need or are required. And this causes heart disease, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, obesity, and just being over fat. So now the researchers compared the effects of a low-carb diet versus a low-fat diet. And these were older, obese adults in the ages of 60 to 75, and it was an eight-week study. All the study participants followed diets designed to provide enough calories to to maintain weight, but the calories came from either carbohydrates or from fat. So we're comparing a high-fat diet to a low-carb diet, which is ultimately the end result. And the goal of the study was to determine the effects of different calorie sources, fat sources, fat calories, versus carb calories. And they were comparing it on belly fat, commonly known as visceral fat and insulin resistance. And they were not looking for weight loss. They were looking for ways for the body to be healthier by the foods that people eat. The effects were not on weight loss. You know, insulin is produced by the body for most Americans. For type 1 diabetics, they do not produce insulin. So they take it artificially to maintain a healthy sugar balance and A1C level. And insulin is produced for a certain level of sugar. But our level of sugar consumed in America daily by individuals is far beyond what the insulin in our body can handle. Just overwhelms the production of insulin. Insulin is required to shuttle sugars and carbohydrates into the cell to produce energy. But we have we are consuming so much sugar that insulin can't work anymore. It's there. Doctors know it's there. They know you're not a type 1 diabetic because that person does produce insulin. 
but there's not enough insulin to take care of the mound and ton of sugar consumed by Americans. So the doctor does a blood test and goes, yikes, you are, you're way over in the amount of sugar in your bloodstream than you should. You must be a diabetic. But you're not a type 1 diabetic because you do produce insulin. So they call it type 2. Type 2 is a metabolic disorder. It is not a disease. And you can get rid of type 2 diabetes if you care to. It's optional. By just changing how you live, the food you eat, and the level of activities. So now the low-carb portion of this study, meaning the high-fat group. So when you're eating low-carb, the idea is to increase the fat. I know I still have a hard, hard time convincing people to eat fat because they are so brainwashed for the decades of the past 50 years of saying fats are bad for us, fats are killing us, fats cause heart disease, fats cause cancer. It does not. Bad fats do, but healthy fats do not. And you know the healthy fats, I've already mentioned them. So the low-carb diet was 10% carbs. 25 to 30% protein, and 65% of the diet should be fat. And we have been living for many, many decades with zero fats for many people. I know many people that have serious side effects of a low, low fat diet. Because some people thought if they lowered the fat, they would lose weight and be healthy. And they actually were just the opposite, very unhealthy. So these people ate three eggs daily, plenty of meat, fish, greens, full-fat dairy, not low-fat, not 2%, full-fat dairy. That's the only way nature produces milk, full-fat. And the fat is there to improve the absorption of the contents of the milk. Olive oil, butter, and non-starchy vegetables. And when I say non-starchy vegetables, that means anything that grows below the ground should not be consumed. No carrots, no beets, no potatoes. Anything that grows below the ground is a starchy vegetable which has a higher content of sugar. And little or no grain, if you want to read a good book, read, read Wheat Belly and how grains have affected Americans. The book is written by Dr. Bill Davis. And no sugar. Now, you'll find sugar a little bit if you eat leafy greens. But basically, this is my diet. The ketogenic diet. 
If you want to go to my website, Terry Talks Nutrition, and click on Terry's Diet, that'll give you an idea of what I consume. Now, the low-fat group, those that are on high carbs, and this was, I would say this was moderate carbohydrates for Americans. So these researchers kind of were forgiving. They were giving 55% of the diet were carbs, 25% protein, and 90% fat. Very lean meat, trim all the fat off the meat. No, nothing like bacon. I like bacon wrapped in bacon. And they were always low-fat dairy. Fat-free, 2%, low-fat. And they could have low-fat foods that were recommended, like bread, potatoes, pasta, but no eggs. They were on a high-carb, low-fat diet. So what was the result of this kind of scientific study? Well, the end of the study's results basically said more fat in our diet is better than more carbs. So more fat is better than more sugar. Because sugar, sometimes you don't understand, we don't don't understand sugar because sugar is just another word for fat. Because sugar converts to fat. We can't utilize all the sugar today that we are consuming. So it turns it into fat, and that's why people are fat today, not because they're eating fat, because they're eating carbohydrates and sugar. So to lose weight, Use the ketogenic diet or the or my diet. They're very, very similar. And you'll lose weight and you don't have to try. Your body will get leaner based on your body's structure and and the and how tall you are. And you'll get more muscle and stronger. It's hard to believe that 80 to 90% of those that want to be stronger may not need to do any weightlifting, but to eat better. Now, the result of this study, the participants were instructed not to restrict calories. This was not a weight loss diet. This was a health diet. But both groups lost weight. The low-fat group, those that ate the high carbs, they had a 1% loss of weight. The low-carb, no sugar, no starch, high-fat diet group, they lost 6.3%. The low-carb, high-fat, Diet group overall ate about 400 calories less per day, which seemed to be associated with a decreased appetite 
rather than deliberately reducing food intake. If you start eating protein foods, fats, and salads, greens, you just don't eat as much because proteins and fats are very satisfying. And they take longer to digest and they give you a better level of energy. When you eat sugar, it is digested like you would strike a match and that match burns for what? 15, 20 seconds? A quick burnout. And that's what happens to people that eat a lot of carbohydrates and sugar. They have burnout. Now when you eat fat, fat gives you just as much energy as sugar, only it's a long-term flame of, of energy. It's like striking a match to a candle. And then the candle can burn for whatever the candle size. Could be anywhere from an hour to five hours. And that's the difference between sugar and fats. Fats, long-burning energy. Sugar, quick energy. Gone in a minute. And you're hungry again. You're looking for more food again. You are never satisfied. So the total body fat, now this is where it really comes interesting, because getting on a scale doesn't tell you anything. It tells you how much weight you have above both muscle and fat and your bones. The way to really tell if you're in shape is to measure your waistline And your waistline should be 50% of your height in inches. So if you're 5 foot 8, that's 68 inches. So your waistline should not exceed 34. So whatever your height is, divide it into two. That's your waistline. Because you could actually, uh, actually work out and then end up gaining weight because muscles weigh more than fat. So on the total body fat of these individuals, the low fat diet group was a 2% reduction in fat. But now those that ate less carbs and more fat, they lost almost 10% Reduction in their total body fat of their body. And primarily in the visceral adipose tissue, the belly fat, the beer belly, the pot belly, whatever you want to call it. That is the unhealthy, very unhealthy. It's the most dangerous fat, more dangerous than somebody who's fat all over. The very dangerous, unhealthy abdominal fat. So the low-fat diet group lost 1% of their belly fat. The low-carb, low-sugar, high-fat diet group lost 23% of their belly fat. There's no pill that can reduce belly fat 
I have people write to me all the time. Two, is the big, two of the biggest things. How do we regrow hair? If I knew that, I'd be a, a, zillion male, a zillionaire. There's no pill that can grow hair that I know. And there is no pill that can reduce belly fat. I have people write me all the time say, what pill do I take? What supplement do I take to get rid of my belly fat? To get rid of my underarm fat? Diet. Food. What you are eating every day makes the difference. 23% reduction of belly fat. That's huge. In the low carb, high fat diet. Now that just sounds crazy, right? Oxymoron, right? I want to get rid of my fat and you want me to eat more fat? Almost think like, are you crazy? Absolutely, it's how the body chemistry works. It's how, what the body needs to be effective. And the insulin sensitivity. The low fat, high carb, was 16% increase. And the low carb, high fat diet had a 64% increase. These are some amazing numbers only based on changing the diet. If you change your diet, you're going to get healthier than you never thought possible. You're going to lower your risk of many, many diseases. Cancer, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity. And you're going to lower your level of pain. If you're taking Tylenol or ibuprofen or whatever you're taking and you still can't get rid of that pain, you've got to go on a anti-inflammatory, excuse me, you have to go on an anti-inflammatory diet like the ketogenic diet or Terry's diet and get rid of the carbohydrates and sugar and you'll feel amazing. Okay, my friends, I'm all out of time. I've got to run for today, but I'll be here again tomorrow at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock Central Standard Time. So join me again. And until we meet again, start doing something constructive for your health. It's your health. It's your responsibility. You're the only one that can make a difference. And with that, my friends, say a prayer for this crazy, crazy, insane world. God bless you. And God bless America.